in a moment and I had to stop. Here we go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. I'm excited. I'm rambling, but it doesn't matter. I'm glad you're here. You are here. We're going to get it done. Are you ready? So Ephesians chapter 6. Now, real quick, we're on part 3 of what was supposed to just be a single sermon um, of spiritual warfare. And what happened was last week I wanted to share some things with you, but I could not for the sake of time. But man, we were like just two minutes away from just having this moment where I was going to give you something that the Lord gave me personally. So I had to sit on it for seven days. And man, that was tough. Uh, seven days. I have not told anyone what I wanted to share last Sunday. So I held on to it. So I'm excited. I think you're going to be blessed this morning. But the problem is, as I was piecing the sermon together, the Lord began to show me more about spiritual warfare. And I had so much fun just having the Holy Spirit. Just, I've been praying in the Spirit a lot. So as, as I've been praying in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit's been showing me more, I ended up putting the thing I wanted to show you last week at the end of today. And therein lies the problem. Because if we don't get there in enough time, you will miss it again. So we'll see. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. I'm ready. Here we go. The Apostle Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now I want to touch on a few things real quick and we'll come to the point. All right. Notice real quick, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Last Sunday, we talked about the armor of God. Do you remember? Now, we didn't spend a lot of time on the different pieces. We'll do that another time. But the goal that I was trying to get to was the offensive pieces of the armor. When it comes to spiritual warfare, a lot of people don't talk about defense as much as they talk about offense. And the problem in the church, and I said this the last two Sundays, I don't want to just repeat everything. Uh, we actually have the messages in the back. If you want a copy, you can go get it. But suffice to say this, what we have done is as a church for the last 2,000 years, we have told people, let's take Old Testament principles and let's apply it in a New Testament context. And that is wrong. That is wrong. All right. They had a shadow. We have the substance. When they arrived in the promised land, they had to walk once for six days and then seven times on day seven. For you, you don't have to walk. You can proclaim the death of the ram. You can proclaim the death of the Lord. And you know what? The walls will come down. That is spiritual warfare. Now, on the other hand, know this. When they, when they were on their way to the promised land, God never told them, when you get there, we're going to have an awesome time fighting. I'm going to fight with you. You know what he told them? I want you to go and I want you to possess the promised land. Now, that is vastly different from saying, let's go fight. If I tell you, I've put money in your bank account. Now, go possess the money in your bank account. How many know it's already yours? It's yours. So you're not going to fight with the teller. You're going to get from the teller what already belongs to you. Do you understand? On the other hand, what we have done is said, hey, look, God wants you to fight the good fight. And we don't drop the word faith on it because faith is a rest. And if we tell people that spiritual warfare is really a rest, then we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> Are you with me? So what happens is we tell people, fight the good fight, brother. Go, go out and fight the good fight. And what we do is we give people all these things to do. You can do this, you can do that, you can do this. And all the while, Jesus is sitting on the throne saying, but I've already won. <laughs> What, who are you fighting? I've already won. Now, we, what we do is we take this verse out of context and we say, put on the whole armor of God. And we skip all the pieces that are really the real armor, the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, all right, the shoes. And we go straight for the sword of the spirit, which we talked about last week. And I submit to you, the sword of the spirit is not so that you can conquer. The sword of the spirit is so you can cut off what the enemy is trying to attach to you. Are you with me? Now, we didn't touch the last piece of offensive weaponry last Sunday. 
And uh, that's my goal today is to touch on the last piece. But suffice to say this, look at verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 11, one more time. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now put this in gold. You can really make the whole rest of the verse gold. But I just want to point out, notice, who is your real enemy? The devil. Rulers of, this, uh, rulers of darkness, principalities, the powers, uh, where are we at? Rulers of darkness of this age against the host of wickedness in heavenly places. How many know your boss is not your enemy? And everyone said? Amen. All right. All the married men, your wife is not your enemy. And all the married men said? Amen. All right, there we go. And all the married women, your husband is not your enemy. Amen. Thank you. Forget not, lest you fall. And we should remind you from where you fell. <laughs> All right. Let me say this. Flesh and blood is not your enemy. And the more I'm learning this, I'm glad I'm getting this in year number four of my marriage. She's not here. <laughs> I can say this. I'm glad I'm getting this because I'm going, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have moments. Marriage is a lot of friction sometimes. And it takes the Holy Spirit to put his oil in the between the friction to make the machine work. All right. But before I get to that point, thank you, Miss Angie. Before I get to that point of saying, Holy Spirit, put your oil. He reminds me, hey, flesh and blood is not your enemy. Ah, that's right. It's not my enemy. Now, I know this isn't like a deep, powerful revelation, but you know what I believe? I believe once we hone in on the foundational truths, it will it will very distinctly and uniquely change how we approach spiritual warfare, how we approach problems. People are not your enemies. People are not your enemies. I know there are people above you that you don't like. There are people below you you don't like. There's probably people around you that you don't like. Just look forward and don't look at anyone near you. All right? There are people all around you that you don't like. And people rub you the wrong way. But at the end of the day, they are not your enemy. Are you with me? They're not. They're not your enemy. Your real enemy is a spiritual enemy. Now, there are times where if, if people aren't careful, they can get caught in the emotion, they can get caught in the, in the situation, and they can lash out at you. But in all they're lashing out at you, they are still not your enemy. Now, if they come against you, your perspective must be different. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm saying on this for a reason. Your perspective must be different, because if it's not, you will respond to them as if they are your enemy. And that is a mistake. Are you with me? The worst case is when believers lash out against believers. We're in the same church shooting at each other from across the aisle. I can't stand you. You smell funny. You know, you pray too long. You talk too much. You know, we, we, I'm just being honest. And at the end of the day, Paul said, hey, we are all one body. We're one loaf of bread. We are all united in Christ. What benefit is it if the hand says, I don't need you, eyes? And what, I'm messing it up, but you get the point. What benefit is if the nose says, hey, I don't need the mouth. I don't need legs. Hey, we are better together and our enemy is not one another. We have a spiritual enemy. Are you with me? Now, now that we know we have a spiritual enemy, again, it will change how we respond to people. Now, how did Jesus respond to people when they made Jesus their own enemies? And I word it like that on purpose. In fact, when I was studying, I was like, if Jesus had one enemy, who would it have been physically? Think about it. It would have been the Pharisees, Right. He has some of his harshest words for the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees did not like him. And in some cases, you almost might say, I don't think Jesus liked him either. But let me say this. Jesus never made the Pharisees his enemies. The Pharisees made Jesus their enemy. Thank you for that thunderous amen. (laughs) Jesus never made them his enemy. They made Jesus their enemy. 
And what did Jesus do? How do we know this? Because at the cross, when they were physically responsible for him being there and they're gloating and they're smiling and they're saying, oh, Jesus, if you really are the one, bring yourself down from the cross. He looks up to heaven and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're really doing. Do you get it? Only someone who is looking at them and saying they're not really my enemy can say that. But if he had got up there and said, Father, give them 10 times more of what they deserve in my name. Amen. All right. That's the difference. That's the difference. And it changes the way we encounter people. It changes the way we approach spiritual warfare. So we have an enemy. Now, let's look real quick. Jesus, who was his real enemy? The devil. Spiritual forces. Are you still with me? Oh, man, y'all look so. Oh, you're so, <laughs> you're so. All right. The enemy was. Now, how did Jesus fight the battle? How did he do it? Thank you for that. Here we go. Let's watch. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, verse 7. Now, we know the story of the man who had the most demons, right? We've shared it in the church before. Jesus is preaching on the side of the coast. He's preaching out of a boat. And as he's preaching from the boat, he finishes preaching and he says, I'm tired. Let's go to sleep. So they cross over. Now, I didn't put this story in there, but it's all relative, okay? The moment Jesus starts preaching, Mr. Manga, can you do me a favor, sir? Can you cut the music? Sorry? Yeah. So the moment Jesus starts preaching, the moment he takes a break and he says, I want to go to sleep, all of a sudden Satan attacks him with a storm. Now, how does Jesus encounter the storm? The Bible says he stands up and says, peace be still. And the storm stops. Interesting. He didn't fast. He didn't say, everybody, let's get together. Let's, let's figure this out. How are we going to encounter this? No, he just stood up and said, peace be still. The fight was over. Then we come to Jesus. He crosses over the lake. And when he gets on the other side, a man with demons comes to him. And the Bible says day and night, he cut himself crying out, living among the tombs. All right. So he's possessed by demons and he comes to Jesus in verse seven. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you? Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For Jesus said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Wow. Look at that warfare. That was deep, wasn't it? Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So what did he do? He spoke to him. Verse 9, then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I've never encountered that before, but let me say this. If I was one of the disciples watching this, I would have backed up. He says, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion, because we are many. That's a singular and a plural in the same sentence. Something's not right. Are you with me? And Legion, in the, in the Greek, Legion stands for a thousand. All right, Legion. If there was a Legion of soldiers, it was roughly about a thousand. So he says, my name is Legion for we are many. Jesus, this is all yours, man. <laughs> all right, it's all yours. So then verse 10. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. Look at the authority. Look at the authority. This is spiritual warfare 101. This is the basis of spiritual warfare. You want to know how to do spiritual warfare? Let's look at Jesus. Verse 12. So all the demons begged him. He didn't beg them. They begged him. Are you with me? This is beautiful. He didn't say, please, in the name of Jesus. I'm, in the name of Jesus. I'm saying, in the name of Jesus, 20 more times. In the name of Jesus, please come out. I'm, I'm asking you to come out. I'm about to do something. If you don't come out, it's going to get ugly for you. He, they begged him. And what did they say? Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And all at once, Jesus gave them permission. Wow. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> he gave them permission. 
Now, I know there's a lot of teaching and preaching that says, you know, you have to be careful. You got to do this. I'm not saying don't. I'm not throwing anything out the window. All I'm saying is this. Let's just look at Jesus, because when we look at him, everything becomes easy. Peter looks at Jesus and he didn't have to have a formula to walk on water. All he had to do was look at him. And when he looked at Jesus, walking on water became easy. So when we look at Jesus, everything becomes simple. And right here, what do we see? Verse 13, Jesus gave them permission. Next time you're in a spiritual war, next time you recognize, hey, this is not normal. Something bad is going, this is not normal. God, you love me too much for this to be happening. Hey, wait a second. I'm in a fight and I didn't know it. What am I going to do? I'm not going to beg the, I'm not going to beg the enemy to stop. You know what I'm going to do? In the name of Jesus, I give you permission to leave. (laughs) Are you with me? This is spiritual warfare. And watch this. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. That's deep. Let's look at another loca- Let's look at another spot real quick. Uh, I didn't put it on here. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, I won't do it for the sake of time. I want to get to something. Now watch this real quick. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. David is going to tell us something. And Jesus is going to quote from this psalm in just a second. I'm going to show you. Jesus is about to quote from this. But before he quotes from this, let's look at the actual quotation that Jesus will mention. Okay? Watch this. David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Now, what do you do with a footstool? You put your feet on it. In fact, I used to always think it was literally just something to put your feet under, right? But that's not a footstool. That's just something you put your feet under. A footstool is something you stand on to get higher. All right. Are you with me? If I can't reach something in the cupboard or in the cabinet, what do I do? I go find a footstool. I stand on it and I can reach things I couldn't reach before. Are you with me? All right. So what happens? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So your enemies are going to be something that are going to make you go further. Are you with me? If you have no enemies, you have no footstool. Thank you for that thunder. Say amen. You have no enemies. You have no footstool. So it's to my benefit to say I am going to what? Sit until he makes them my footstool. Now, I can tell you a testimony, but again, for the sake of time. But the point is this. If you never have a battle to fight, you'll never have spoils of war. If you never have a battle to fight, you will never have spoils of war. And based on this verse, if you never have enemies, you'll never have a footstool. So praise God for the footstool. Next time someone comes against you, just smile. Don't say it to their face. That's rude. But just smile and say, Lord, I'm so grateful. I know it's hard for me to say it right now because this person is really making my life tough. But I thank you, Father, that this is my footstool. And you have seen me fit to stand on this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And walk away. And that is all the spiritual warfare you need to do. Because spiritual warfare is not getting up and trying to fight the battle. And, oh, I'm, I'm trying to win. I'm, I'm, brother, did you pray last night? I prayed last night for five hours in the name of Jesus. We're going to win this one. We're going to win this one, brother. No, you rest. You rest. Your posture for spiritual warfare is to rest. And you sit. Now, there's some people who say, well, he said this to God. Why? The Lord God said to my Lord, who is the second Lord? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Why my right hand? Because the right hand speaks of favor. While you're waiting for your enemy to be made your footstool, I want you to rest in my favor. Are you with me? I posted something on Facebook and I was kind of getting ahead of myself. I didn't say this last Sunday, but I thought, you know what? I want to share this on Facebook. Hey, while you're waiting for your enemies to be made your footstool, expect the favor of God to propel you further. Because you're sitting at his right hand. You're sitting at his right hand and he will make your enemies your footstool. 
Now watch this. Look at verse 2. Then the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Now who is that? Who is the rod of his strength? Jesus. Jesus. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Why? Rule in the midst of your enemies. Isn't that beautiful? Rule in the midst of your enemies. Not in the absence of your enemies. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Let all your enemies watch as you rule. Now again, your enemy is not flesh and blood. But when flesh and blood comes against you, let me say this. God will cause flesh and blood to look and observe the favor on your life. And they will watch as you rule in their midst. Now, the true enemy, spiritual forces, principalities, rulers of darkness, they're watching as well. And they're watching how God is propelling you. You are ruling in their midst. That's why David said in Psalm 23, not why, but it's similar to what he said in Psalm 23. You don't prepare a table in the absence, but in the presence presence of my enemies. And notice David did not say, I will prepare a table. He said, you will prepare a table. What a thing to say. You know who prepares tables and houses? Servants. Servants. And David was saying, graciously, David was saying, you are preparing a table for me. You are serving me in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that powerful? How dare you say God is a servant? Jesus, in the book of Revelation, was still wearing the same golden girdle he took off the night he washed their feet. And now that girdle has been made gold. Why? Because he is still here to serve. He is still here to serve. And as he serves you, he causes you to go above. He causes your enemies to become your footstool. We will rule in the midst of our enemies. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Now watch this. Jesus quoted this in Matthew 22. In Matthew 22, Jesus quoted this. Look up here. Matthew 22. Now, I didn't want to give you the whole context. Again, I didn't want to give you a whole lot of verses. But suffice to say this. In Matthew 22... It says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, I want to give you the context. This is beautiful. The Sadducees come to Jesus and they ask him a question. Jesus gives them the best answer in the world. And all of a sudden, they have nothing to say, so they go home sad. The Pharisees find out the Sadducees have been silenced. So what do they do? Let's get everyone together and let's come up with something that Jesus cannot answer. Let's trap him. All right? So what do they do? Verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer... Asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, I didn't put all this again for the sake of too many verses and too many slides. But what is the answer that Jesus gives? Who knows? Well, you have your Bible open. What is the answer Jesus gives? Love the Lord your God with all your, all your, and all your. And then he says the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right. Just like it, both are actually on the same level. Love God, love your neighbor, same level. Now I'm paraphrasing. But suffice to say this, he says, this is, this is the answer to your question. Now watch this. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Now he gives them their answer. Then he asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now watch this. He gives them their answer. They're not silenced yet. They're trying to come up with a way to counter what Jesus just said. While they're trying to come up with a plan, what does he say? Let me ask you a question. Who do you, what, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So they said to him, he's the son of David. Now in the book of Matthew, he calls him the son of David, son of David, son of David, right? That's a Jewish term, son of David, son of David. Are you with me? So they said, he said, who is the Christ? Whose son is he? They said, well, he's the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
If David then calls him Lord, how is he, how is he his son? Now, we all know the answer to this. If you don't know, I'll tell you right now. Physically speaking, Jesus was from the line of David. But spiritually speaking, Jesus did not come from a physical seed. He was God in a woman, born from a woman. Are you with me? So, yes, he is the greater son of David in title, but he is not actually the physical son of David. Are you with me? So David looks to him and realizes, hey, my great, 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 great grandson one day, that is him. I should call him Lord because he was before me. So then Jesus says, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Why? Because the revelation that Jesus, listen, the revelation that Jesus is the Lord. Hey, no one can, they have nothing to say. That's all we need. And then it says what? From that day, no one dare answer, no one dare question him anymore. Now, when I saw this, I got excited because I've read this passage before and I never saw it like this. I never saw it like this. All right. How does the enemy attack you today? In fact, let me, let me, let's pause on that. Let's back up. We saw this two Sundays ago. How did the enemy attack Eve in the garden? The first thing he did was what? He asked her a question. And we saw two weeks ago, he dropped the word grace from what God had said. Like we said two weeks ago, if the devil can convince you that God is not gracious, he can get you to do whatever he wants to do. All right. But the first thing the devil says in the entire Bible is a question. How did he attack Jesus when he was tempted? He asked him a question. If you are the son of God, then do this. He asked him a question. Prove who you are. Are you with me? How does the devil attack Eve, the first, first attack? How does he attack Jesus? Asking questions. I submit to you, how does he attack us many times? Probably asking questions. If God really loved you, how can this happen? If you've done everything you were supposed to, why is this still happening? If you had been good enough and if you had done what you should have, this would not have ever happened. How can you expect something different? Are you with me? These are the fiery arrows. These are the fiery arrows. These are the fiery arrows that he shoots at God's people. And how does he do it? He's asking questions. So watch this. How did Jesus silence them? He quoted from David saying what? Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Sit, rest, rest until your enemies become your footstool. And from that day, from, watch this, and no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. This was the end of their attack on him. And I submit to you, when you step into rest, that will be the end of the assault on your life. <laughs> when I saw that, I got so excited. I'm not saying the enemy won't come back and try again another way. But suffice to say this, when you determine, hey, by the grace of God, I will sit until this becomes my footstool. I submit to you, that will be the end of that attack. Because Satan can't respond to you. As long as you're standing up trying to fight, he will fight with you. But the moment you say, I'm done fighting this, I am done. Jesus, you've made me more than a conqueror. He can't fight you anymore. He can't fight you if you don't fight back. <laughs> Are you with me? So when I saw this, I got so excited because now, listen, we are uncovering his schemes. How does he attack us? He asks us questions. And all we have to do is enter into rest. Now, let me ask you, how do we enter into rest? Oh, come on. You know the answer. How do we, how do we labor to enter into the rest? Tongues. By praying in the spirit. For with stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to these people. For this is the rest and the refreshing. When you pray in the spirit, you are actively entering into the rest. 
Now watch this. Let me show you a story from 2 Samuel. Let me show you a story from 2 Samuel chapter 12. Second Samuel chapter 12. Now let me show you how God hides how gracious he really is to all of us. And Mr. Manga said this morning, God is good, man. He is good. I didn't think God was that good. Because you ain't been to church in three weeks. No, I'm just joking. He's been to church every week. He's been to church every week. But I told him you're welcome after he gave his testimony. You should experience grace. Thank you. You're in a church that's talking about the grace of God. You should be experiencing grace. You should be experiencing favor you don't deserve. If you're not, ask yourself some questions. We'll talk about that at the end of the sermon. Just ask yourself some questions. God, my life is getting worse since I've been here. Come talk to the pastor. We'll talk. <laughs> if you're not experiencing enough, I love you. Here we go. Second Samuel chapter 12. We won't get into that. Now, I want to give you real quick the backdrop of the story, because if you understand the backdrop, this story makes so much more sense. And it is so beautiful. OK, what happened? We shared about it last week. What happened is this. David has just committed adultery with Bathsheba. OK, and he lost a son because he was under the law. Now, when you come to this, it says, verse 26, now Joab fought against Reba. Now, listen, it says now Joab. But if you go back to the Hebrew, it says at the same time this was going on. So I want you to understand what's happening on one end of the kingdom. David is sinning and his sin cost him the life of the son. Are you with me? But he was also under the law. We are not under the law. David said in that same chapter, a few verses earlier, how did I know? He said, if I had fasted and prayed, I was hoping, but I didn't know whether or not God would be gracious to me and save the boy. That's literally the word he uses. If God would be gracious to me and save the boy. But now that the boy has died, I'll move on. Now, I'm saying all that to say this, while he is sinning and while he's paying for what he did wrong, at the same time, this story takes place. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the name of Joab for the sake of time so that the story makes more sense. Let's pull back the veil and see Jesus. Are you with me? Let's pull back the veil. Watch this. Verse 26, it says, now Joab, Joab, his name, Joe, uh, the first part of it, Joab is the English, but literally in the Hebrew, it's Joab comes from Jehovah or Yahweh, but let's just say Jehovah, okay? Jehovah. Ab, Ab is actually, A-B, is actually Abba. What does Abba mean in Hebrew? Father. What do you see? Jehovah is my father. Are you with me? So I think his name means, because it means that, I think something good is going to happen. When God is your father, let's watch what happens. Now Joab fought against Rabah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabah and I have taken the city's water supply. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. Wow. Now, watch this. I don't know about you, but Joab is a general and Joab goes in and he goes and he fights. But what Joab doesn't know is at home, David is sinning. He's doing all these things he should not be doing and he's paying the price for it. But at the same time, he's going out and he conquers a city. But before he steps foot inside the city, he knows if I cross the threshold of the city, they'll name the city after me. But I want David to be the one to get the credit for this city. Wow. What does David's name mean in the Hebrew? Beloved. He's a picture of all of us. You are the one that God loves. (laughs) Spiritual warfare begins with knowing that God loves you. Before Jesus stepped foot into the wilderness, God said out loud, this is my in whom I am well pleased. 
Then he entered the fight. That's why in church you should always be, hey, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Then when you step out of here, you can win the fight. But if you come in here and you don't know Jesus loves me, you're doomed for failure. So what happens is this. David is a picture of all of us. We are the ones that God loves. And while he was making a mistake, even while you're making the mistake, don't think that God has stopped winning for you. That God is saying this mistake is going to cost you the victory. Let me tell you, while David is paying the price, Joab, Jehovah is my father, conquers the city. But he won't even step foot because he doesn't want to get credit. He wants to give credit to the one that God loves. (laughs) God wants to make you more than a conqueror. And we have been taught our mistakes have cost us the victory in the past. I submit to you because of the payment Jesus made, because of the blood of Jesus, your mistakes do not disqualify you from victory. Even while you make the mistake, God is still fighting and he is still winning. Our job is not to figure out how not to make the mistake. Our job is to keep looking at Jesus. Keep looking at him. Keep looking at him. Because when you look to him, he's winning the fight for you. Sit still till I make your enemies your footstool. Sit still till I make your enemies your footstool. Well, it's hard for me to sit still because I'm so anxious and I don't know what's going. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Then enter into the rest. Pray in the Spirit. Enter into the rest because when you enter into the rest, He will make your enemies your footstool. Let's keep going real quick. Watch this. Look at verse 28. So David gathered all the people together and went to Reba. He fought against it. Now watch this. If you're not careful, you'll think, Well, David still had to fight. Right? David still had to fight. Watch this. He fought against it and took it. Then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. Now watch this. Let me tell you. I thought I was going to have it. I had the, I had the part backed up. Who won the fight? Joab. Joab. But who gets credit for fighting? When God said you are more than a conqueror, and we say it all the time, but I'm going to say it again. When God says, I have made you more than a conqueror through him who loved you, they will give you credit for victory. But if you're smart, you'll know, hey, I didn't win this one. I didn't win this one. He won it for me. I sat down and he brought me the victory. Now watch this. He fought against it. He took it. Then he took their king's crown from his head. It was a weight. I'm sorry. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. David did not set it on his own head. It was set on David's head. And watch this. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. Wow. The things you could not do for a lack of resources. When you sit and let him make your enemies your footstool. The next time you walk on the battlefield, you will walk away with great abundance. Doors that might have seemed like they were closed before. God is saying, I know exactly how to get you the resources. (laughs) Are you with me? And I can trust you with them. Because I know that you're not going to try to win this. You are going to sit through this. You know, I I didn't share this story and I'm coming to something. I didn't share this story. But you know, Moses, this is one of my favorite stories. This was one of the early days for me when I first was grasping hold of this concept of grace. I was like, God, what in the world is this? Like... Prove this to me. And I would never forget, I was getting ready for uh, church that Sunday. I would get to church about an hour and a half early. And at the time, we had a building uh, for our youth. It was designated just for the youth. I had my own key. And I would go in there, and I would put speakers up. Me and Pastor Samuel, he helped me. We set these speakers up throughout the entire house. They were hanging from the ceiling. 
And so what we would do is I'd go in my office and I would plug in a worship CD and I would just walk around for an hour and 15 minutes and just worship the Lord every Sunday before church. I would turn the lights off. No one knew I was over there. I'd park my car in the back so no one would know. And I'd just walk around. I'd just pray in tongues. And I'll never forget one day I was just praying in the spirit, singing the song, thanking the Lord, and I was just having a time with God. And all of a sudden the Lord showed me this image, like a vision. He showed me an image of Moses standing on top of a mountain with his arms stretched out like this. Right? And then all of a sudden in the valley, I saw immediately Joshua was in the valley winning. Now at that time, I had already known Joshua's name in the Hebrew is actually Yeshua. Joshua in the Hebrew is Yeshua. So I knew Joshua name Yeshua, but the story, Moses on a mountain with his arms stretched. And I said, wait a second, something's, where is that story in the Bible? Because I knew the story from a kid, but I didn't know the story. I didn't know where it was. So I don't know if you remember, I called my mom that morning. It was before church. I said, Ma, where's that story where Moses is on a mountain and Joshua fights? And she said, it's in Exodus. So I go to Exodus and I find it. And as I was reading it, the Lord said this, son, if you remember the story, the Lord said, son, if you will keep your eyes on Jesus at the cross for you, I will be in the valley winning the battle for you. Because if you remember the story, if you remember, Moses went on a mountain and they were attacked by the Amalekites. Remember? They were attacked by the Amalekites. And Moses went up on a mountain with Joshua and her. And he lifted his hands like this. And the Bible says as long as his hands were lifted, Joshua was winning in the valley. But the moment his arms got tired and his arms dropped, Joshua started to lose. And all of a sudden, they all three came together and said, hey, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this one out. (laughs) So her, you hold up one hand and I'll hold up the other. And so, not Joshua, I'm sorry, Aaron and her, Aaron, his brother. So Aaron holds up one hand, her holds up the other. And as they're holding his hands up, Moses sits on a rock. And all of a sudden, as long as his hands are up, they win the fight. And the Lord spoke to me, said, son, if you will tell them. And this was, I was giving this to teenagers, man, 12 years old. (laughs) And I said, the Lord said, son, tell them. If you will keep your eyes on me at the cross, I will win the fight for you in the valley. It was never on you to win. It was on you to sit and look. Sit and look, and I will win the fight for you. This is how you will become more than a conqueror. Sit and look. Amen? Sit in his favor till he makes your enemies, your enemies, your footstool. Now, can I close with this? I think we have time. Do we have time? Can I close with this? Oh, man, we finished early. I can close with this. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at this real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. I got to pull my Bible out for this. I didn't put all the verses up. Ephesians chapter 6. Pick up at verse 14. We'll read down to 17. Pick up at verse 14. Verse 14 says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Last week we said, how do you activate your shield? By praying in the spirit. By praying in the spirit. When you pray in the spirit, you are activating that shield. And every time he tries to attack you with a question of judgment, that shield will quench every single one. In fact, and I'll, I'll share this and we'll move on. Just recently, I, I, made a, I did something and I'll, I'll just be vulnerable. I got into a fight with my wife about something that was dumb. And it's never the big things that, you know, make the friction in our marriage. It's always the small things. It's like I think in Song of Solomon, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's never the big, big problems. It's always the small things that just nag at you and you go, woman, 
Okay, anyways. So, <laughs> so I had this problem and I was like, okay, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to go and I'm going to have a moment by myself. And I just felt, because I was told, you know, pray in the spirit more. Pray in the spirit more. Be praying in the spirit. So I said, okay, I'm going to pray in the spirit because she's getting on my nerves, Lord. I'm going to pray in the spirit. She's getting on my nerves. <laughs> so I start praying in the spirit. And all of a sudden I had this, this moment where I heard another minister say, and I heard his voice in my head saying, when you pray in the spirit after you've done something wrong, you're reminding the devil, you're reminding the devil, hey, I still have the Holy Spirit. I am so clean. He has made me so clean that even though I made a mistake, the Holy Spirit is still here. And that, oh man. So, you know, pray in the spirit. (laughs) Pray in the spirit because you'll quench every arrow. You'll quench every, and sometimes you'll feel even more guilty. But that's just the enemy saying, he's screaming out. You can't do this. You have to stop. You have to stop. You have to stop. And you know what? Through the guilt, keep praying in the spirit because you're letting him know out loud, hey, he is still with me. I am still the righteousness of God in Christ, not based on what I've done. So anyways, how do you activate the shield? Praying in the spirit. Where do we stop? Look at verse 17. So we have verse 17 up here. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We talked about that last week. Praying always with all prayer. Now, real quick, you have the helmet, you have the breastplate, you have the belt, you have the gospel shoes, you have the shield of faith, you have the sword of the spirit. We have six pieces of armor. Six is the number of what? Man. Six is the number of man. Man was made on the sixth day. So six is the number of man. In Revelation, what is the number that will be placed on the forehead of those who take the mark of the beast? Six, six. Why six, six, six? Because it's man in his perfection. Why on his head? Because it's the best that man can come up with on his own. And why on his right hand? Because it's the best that man can perform out of his own strength. Are you with me? But what is the alternative? Instead of what I can think of and instead of what I can earn on my own, I say it's all what you can come up with. And it's all that you can do, Jesus. In the last days, let me say this. I don't believe that the 666 is being put on. Not just personal. I don't believe it's, uh, well, let me say it like this. Let me say this carefully. I believe that number is being put on people in churches all across America. They come into the house of God to find out what Jesus did. And instead, preachers are saying, what are you doing? What are you not doing? And how can you do more? And they walk out with what on their forehead? 666. How can I do better? How can I do more? And they walk out with more guilt and condemnation. But by the grace of God, you have no numbers on your forehead. And your children will never have it on their foreheads either. Amen? So anyways, let's keep going. Real quick, and I'll close with this. I apologize. I'll close with this. We have six pieces of armor, and then we come to verse 18. If you know anything about Roman soldiers, they always had a short-range weapon. They always had a shield. And they always had a long-range weapon with them as well. Why a long range? Because if you get close, close up, we can have hand-to-hand combat. I have to be trained in that. But it's easier if I don't even have to fight you at all. What if I can beat you from a distance? That's better, right? So watch this, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. What is that? Praying in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now watch this real quick. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. Why perseverance? Because I want you to pray in the spirit through the problem. Don't pray in the spirit for five minutes and say, Lord, it's not done yet. No, keep praying in the spirit. Keep praying in the spirit. Keep praying in the spirit. In fact, if you go back to the Hebrew, this phrase right here, praying always with all prayer, with all prayer is actually in all seasons. In all seasons. Don't just pray in the spirit when it's good. Pray in the spirit when it's, uh, I'm sorry, when it's bad. 
pray in the spirit when it's bad and when it's good. And pray in the spirit in between. Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? I run out of words in the English, but the Holy Spirit never runs out of words. Pray without ceasing. Pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Keep praying in the spirit. Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now, let me show you this and I'll close. Being watchful to this end. To this end. Now, what in the world is to this end? Well, you can say, well, Matthew, to this end means uh, pray until the victory comes. Well, you could say that. Well, we'll pray in the spirit until the problem is resolved. Again, you can say that. But let's, let's let the Bible interpret, shall we? Aren't you glad we're going to let the Bible interpret the Bible this morning? Thank you. Isaiah 59. And with this, we will close. This is my fourth closing, so I have one more. This is my, I'm just sorry. Isaiah 59. And we'll close with this. This is my real, real closing, okay? Isaiah 59, verse 14. We just saw all the armor of God. Your breastplate is called the breastplate of what? All right. Breastplate of righteousness. And your helmet is called the helmet of what? Salvation. But whose armor is it? One more time. Whose armor is it? God's armor. When you put on God's armor, who do you look like? I know you're scared to say it, but don't be afraid. You're not standing in your own righteousness. You're standing in the righteousness of God. You are as righteous as because it's his righteousness. So when you wear his armor, who do you look like? <laughs> Aren't you glad? you? Anyways, here we go. Look at verse 14 and we'll close. God is speaking. He says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Now, would you say that it's kind of what it looks like today in the world? Would you say that? Would you say that what is right is now being said, well, no, no, that's wrong. And the things that are wrong, we're now saying, well, 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 why is it wrong? Would you say that? I would say that. You may not, but I'm watching the world. And I, this is, it looks to me like this is what's going on, all right? So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. When someone stands up for what they believe, how do they become a target for the world to attack? That's a problem. So what happens? What happens when this happens? Let me show you what God does. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him. That there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness is sustained him. Real quick. Who is the arm that brought righteous, that brought salvation for him? Who is it? It's not a what. It's a who. Who is it? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. In Isaiah 53, he says, who has seen the arm of God? The arm. He's not talking about physical arm. He's talking about the arm of God, the weapon. What is God's weapon against the enemy? It was Jesus. What is the arm that brought Yeshua for him? Jesus. <laughs> Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness is sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Whoa. That's why I said you look like him because you're wearing his armor. But what happens when God himself puts his own armor on? What happens when people attack you instead of the right thing happening, the wrong thing happens? And you go, God, what did, how can this happen? God says, step back. I'm putting my own armor on now. You sit and watch me. <laughs> watch this. He put on a helmet of salvation on his head and he put on garments of? Whoa. Whoa. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm telling you, when people do you wrong, it's to your benefit to sit back. <laughs> when the enemy attacks you, it's to your benefit to sit back. Because when you stand up, he says, I will sit. I will not fight with you, but I will fight for you. You will not be a conqueror 
I will make you more than a conqueror. So when people attack you and it gets worse, you sit. I will put on my own armor. And he says, what? Garments of vengeance for clothing. And it was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries. Recompense to, the, uh, to his enemies. The coastlands, will fully, he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, what happens? Where are we at? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Wow. <laughs> That's why you should sit at his right hand. And let him make your enemies your footstool. I skipped verse 20 for the sake of too many slides and for the sake of time. You can read it for yourself. But verse 21 says this. As for me, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord. This is my covenant with them. This is God's covenant with you. Are you ready? Watch this. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth. What are the words he put in our mouths? Praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit. When I saw this. I realized, wait a second. He said, praying with all prayer and all supplication, being watchful to this end. Being watchful to what end? With all perseverance. Hey, when something goes wrong and things happen against you that should not be happening, if you will sit and pray in the spirit, he puts his own armor on for you. He puts his own breastplate, his own helmet, and he puts on garments of vengeance. And he steps out against all the spiritual forces that come against you. And he makes all your enemies watch as he makes you rule in their midst. And he comes against your enemy. And what happens? He put his words in your mouth. They shall not depart from your mouth. When you pray in the spirit, he fights for you. He fights for you. How do you keep the problems far from you? By praying in the spirit. This is our long-range weapon. And then what does he say? Nor from the mouth of your descendants, that's your children. Nor from the mouth of your descendants, descendants, that's your children's children, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Wow. That's his covenant with you. You pray in the spirit and look, your children will do it. And your children's children will do it. Thank the Lord that as you're praying in the spirit, the Holy Spirit is already declaring. Parker will be praying in the spirit. Parker's children will be praying in the spirit. All right. Hey, the Holy Spirit is praying ahead of you. He said, hey, the enemy's trying to bring a problem. Hey, while you're praying in the spirit, he puts his armor on and he goes out and he fights for you. As you pray in the spirit, he puts his armor on and he fixes the problem. He turns the problem around. The people who are stepping against you and making you their enemy because they are not yours. Our fight is not with flesh and blood. As you pray in the spirit, he goes and he turns them around and he prepares a table for you. And he causes them to see you ruling in their midst. I think we should pray in the spirit more. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Would you agree? Thank you, Jesus. Now, real quick, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking. Thank you, Jesus.